Hello, this is Al Jensen, and welcome to Podcast for Seniors. We're reading out of the book, Scouting for the Mormons on the Great Frontier, written by my grandfather, Sidney Hanks, about my great-grandfather, Ephraim K. Hanks. So now we're going to read in Chapter 5. With an honorable discharge tucked safely away in his knapsack, the former sailor headed at once for the old homestead in Ohio. Since talking to the mysterious man in the gray tweed suit, Eve had been under a strong compulsion to get home as quickly as possible. Reasoning that his father would by now have forgotten the incident which caused him to leave, the boy was anxious to see his family and to be for a while in the snug harbor of home. This anxiety grew until he reached the familiar gate leading to the house. At this point, his mind whipped up many conflicting thoughts, and he paused a moment in deep reflection. His feelings might have been expressed in the words of an old song. I hear those old familiar voices, they sound as in the long ago, and now it appears a passing shadow. Of one sweet form that well I know, here once beside a loving mother I spent the hours in childhood glee, but now I fear the lonely sadness, her tender thought is not for me. I'm weary and my heart is yearning, oh must I ever ever roam, is there no joy at my returning, will no one bid me welcome home? Not even the faithful watchdog knows me, though oft together we have played, not one to give a word of welcome or heed the foolish one who strayed. The silvery stars are softly beaming down the silent world below. The night winds moan among the branches anchored where the brooklets flow. The village clock, the hours tolling, each toll would seem to bid me stay. Now I fear in lonely sadness that I must turn away. Eve hesitated, wondering just how approach he would soon see and what his first words to them would be. The warm glow of the light from the window beckoned him on. Cautiously he tapped at the door, pushing it open. Almost at the same moment he tiptoed through the living room into the kitchen, where Mother Hanks was putting the evening meal on the table. At first she thought she was seeing a ghost as she looked at this husky six foot two hundred pound sailor standing before her. Quickly regaining her composure, she called his name, and he held his mother in his arms. Soon all were gathered around the table, attempting to eat the evening meal, but little food was consumed. The excitement of being together again had taken the edge from their appetites. Eve learned that his father had passed away a year and a half after he had gone to sea. This was a real blow to the young sailor, whose appreciation of his father had increased during his years at sea. These years had not been fancy-free. Solidly of manhood had risen to give him ballast in his discrimination between things worthwhile and things of only passing worth. His father had been elevated to a high position. As a young seaman answered the many questions, put him to concerning far-off lands. He could still see his father in the old shop shaping iron and giving out bits of wisdom about life, which glistened now with a new value. When reluctantly told that his father's will had stated that if he ever returned, he was to be given one dollar with instructions for him to buy a New Testament and read it. The young seaman's eyes were full of appreciation for past joy and present sorrow. After the table was cleared and the family sat around the fireplace, the full tale was told of Sidney, the older brother, who according to the family had been led away by the terrible Mormons. The story was told as though the Mormons were holding Eve's favorite brother under a spell, and as if he were slaving without hope of reward or of freedom. This angered the stalwart sailor, and he resolved then and there that no matter what the risk, he would find his brother and bring him safely home. 
The next morning, Eve was very much surprised to find that old Ring, the dog he had given to Helen Chambers, the blind girl, had been at home for about a year. The family had been surprised by the dog's return and had looked hopefully for his master to follow, not knowing that he was thousands of miles away sailing the seven seas. Wanting to visit the Chambers family and to return the dog to Helen, Eve set off in a buggy drawn by a pair of horses with Liege, his brother, for the Chambers farm. When the dog recognized Helen and licked her face, she cried and kissed him. Mr. Chambers explained how the dog had disappeared one day when they were returning from a short trip. Evidently, Ring had remembered his old home and, hoping to find Eve there, had left them. Helen had mourned for the dog. When Eve heard this, he assured her that he intended to leave Ring with Helen, and of course this pleased them very much. Mr. Chambers took Eve aside and told him that he and his wife were getting old, so if Eve would stay and take care of Helen, the farm and all the belongings should be his. This would no doubt have been a tempting offer had not the influence of the mysterious man on the boat been so strong. There was a fourth force within the discharged sailor's heart which is driving him forward to new adventure. After thanking Mr. Chambers warmly for his offer and bidding goodbye to Helen and Mrs. Chambers, she, the two brothers returned home. In the days that followed, Ephraim could not satisfy his mind about his brother Sidney. His days and nights were restless, and there seemed to be within him an urge to feel some part of a plan with which he was not yet familiar. After another good talk with his mother and brothers about the plight of Sid, he started out for the city of Nauvoo, Illinois, to rescue his brother Sidney from the Mormon captors. He had traveled for a day and a half when the road divided into two forks. He started down the right fork when a most unusual thing happened. Some strange power came over him, causing tears to stream from his eyes and blocking his progress. He knew something was wrong, so he turned around and took the other road, but the same feeling overpowered him. He was confused and needed help. Taking a few steps off the road and a grove of sycamore trees, he knelt down, and for the first time in years, he asked his Heavenly Father for help. As he finished praying, he realized that his mind had cleared and he began to retrace his steps towards home. When he reached home, he was very much surprised to find his brother Sidney already there. Sidney, who was bubbling over with the spirit of the gospel, began to unfold to his widowed mother and his brothers the principles of life and salvation taught by the prophet Joseph Smith. He testified to them of how he had been healed through the administration of the servants of the Lord. This doctrine aroused the ire of Mother Hanks, who was very bitter against the Mormons. It ended in her asking Ephraim to get the two most able sectarian ministers who could be found in that part of the country to convert his brother's teachings. As soon as the ministers arrived, an earnest discussion upon the principles of the gospel ensued. Sidney, holding his own on very point of doctrine, all the members of the family but Sidney sat on the sidelines and gave the ministers a free hand. Sidney took them to the Law of the Prophets and soon had them confused. As usual in such cases in those days, the ministers became abusive and began to disparage the prophet Joseph Smith and his followers. They called him a liar, a thief, and a false prophet, saying that anyone who would follow him would rob his own mother. Ephraim, who up at this time had been a silent listener, now became excited, grasped a chair, and pointing to the door, commanded the ministers to leave. It is said that they departed so quickly that one of them left his silk hat behind as a souvenir of the occasion. He followed the ministers as far as the gate to make sure they were well on their way. Returning to the house, he found his mother crying. 
He told her that he was sorry, but that no one could slander his brother while he was there. He asked her to forgive him for causing the hurried exit of those two abusive ministers. The next morning, Eve was sitting on the woodpile, enjoying the sunshine. Sidney came over, smiling broadly. Ho! Oh, he exclaimed. I wonder if those ministers are still running. The two had a hearty laugh. Then Sidney sat down and told Eve of a dream he had while still in Nauvoo. It had made such a firm impression on his mind that it had caused him to return to his mother's home to learn, if possible, its meaning. Once there, the interpretation was made to him as he beheld his long-absent seafaring brother Ephraim. The gospel story unfolded by his brother Sidney struck a responsive chord in the breast of the young sailor. There on the woodpile that day, he chose to cast his lot with Sidney and the Mormons. This decision meant the turning point of his life. Mother Hanks, however, felt so badly about the spiritual trouncing administered by Cindy and Sidney and the physical demonstration by Ephraim toward the two ministers that she made it quite plain that her sons were no longer welcome in the old household. So the two bade her farewell and set out for Nauvoo. Ephraim was now in the twentieth year and had developed into a strong specimen of manhood, as could be found in the country. He was thus qualified for the work that Providence had marked out for him. Being spiritually minded, he possessed at this early period of his life the gift of prophecy, to a considerable extent, though at this time he little understood the gift. He was certainly a man who was destined to perform a work which in later years caused even the savages of the plains to consider him with wonder and amazement. As the boys traveled towards Indianapolis, the gospel of Jesus Christ was the topic of conversation. Sidney explained more fully the gospel plan, how in the vision to Joseph Smith the Lord had promised to set up his church and restore the priesthood, which would be a boon to all mankind. How after the visitation of many heavenly beings, each holding the keys of their own dispensation and power, the gospel was restored and the church organized in the exact likeness of the Church of Christ had established when he was here upon the earth. Sidney explained how, with the restoration of the priesthood, the power of God was again felt. That same power that the early reformers had declared was not upon the earth. Ephraim was thrilled with the new message as he glorified God and placed man in a position to joy him forever. For the first time he understood that God was a being of body parts and passions, that Jesus Christ was a man in the image of God, and that the Holy Ghost was a personage of spirit, and that man was fashioned in the image of Christ. This idea was making sense. A man then, by living the laws of God, could reach new spiritual heights. Ephraim's soul had found a new grip by which it could hold on to the to God of power whom he had not seen. The spiritual force within him began to pull at his whole being. The time passed rapidly. Sidney was full of his story and poured out more and more details about these strange people, their ideals, and their sufferings. Ephraim's many questions were answered to, the, to his entire satisfaction, and the determination became stronger within him to be a defender of the gospel of Zion and her cause, come what might. At Indianapolis, the brothers parted company, Sidney going straight to Nauvoo while Ephraim started north to Chicago, after promising Sidney that he would come to Nauvoo as soon as possible. Because of ill health, Bill Reed had been discharged from the Navy one year after the two boys had enlisted. Bill had settled in Chicago and was firmly established in the hotel business. Ephraim had promised by letter to visit him as soon as possible after his discharge, and he felt it wise to keep that promise now. The meeting in Chicago between Eve and Bill was one to be remembered. The best suite in the hotel was turned over to the two recently just sired sailor. 
Nothing was too good for Ephraim Hanks, so it protected Bill. For Bill was not too strong physically while on the USS Columbus. Bill, so to speak, had protected Eve when they were working on the canal. Then the situation had been reversed. No wonder their friendship was warm and wholesome. Each day Eve looked it for his trunk to arrive, but without results. He needed the clothes which were packed in it. Brought a few more clothes to outfit him as he started to work for Bill. Day after day his mind kept serving him over and over by the new thoughts about life as expressed by his brother Sidney and about the strange people called Mormons and their prophet leader who claimed direct revelation from God. The urge to mingle with them and learn more about the new doctrine which had opened the heavens was getting stronger each day. Finally, Eve told Bill that he must go to Nauvoo. Higher wages were offered and everything else Bill could think of to keep him in Chicago but to no avail. Eve asked that his trunk, when it did arrive, be sent on to Nauvoo. After a warm handshake, the two friends parted. A few days later in Nauvoo, Sidney Hanks went down to the boat landing for no reason he could explain. There stood a trunk. Going over it, he found the name of Ephraim K. Hanks on it. Sidney sat down on the trunk, wondering if his brother had already arrived or was yet to come. As he sat pondering, Ephraim walked up and mystified to the trunk he had been waiting for in Chicago. It was a happy moment for his two brothers. Eve was amazed at the beauty of the city built by these hard-pressed people under trying circumstances. Everyone seemed busy as bees, for the completion of the temple was being rushed. Sidney and Eve immediately went to work on the temple, where Eve rapidly became acquainted with the church leaders, with whom he talked during the day as they worked together, and whose discourses he heard at the evening meetings. He had the privilege of meeting the prophet Joseph Smith and the few of the twelve apostles who were in Nauvoo at that time. Eve lost no time in applying for baptism. It was a marvelous moment for him when he was led into the waters of baptism by Horace S. Eldridge. Shortly after this, Ephraim was ordained to the office of seventy. About this time, the prophet Joseph Smith and his brother Hiram were martyred in the Carthage jail. This, along with the constant persecution heaped upon the peace-loving saints, made Ephraim's blood run hot. Many times he would have taken the law into his own hands, had not the counsel of the brethren been against his doing so. After the martyrdom of the prophet, the saints were advised by Brigham Young to prepare for their westward journey. No one heeded this advice more keenly than did Ephraim K. Hanks. There had been a feeling of kinship between himself and Brigham Young at their first meeting, which was to endure throughout their lives. Eve immediately began to make preparations to go westward with a company of saints. Before they were ready to leave, he was sent by the authorities to Indianapolis to pilot a company of saints to Nauvoo. They experienced some difficulty crossing the Wabash River, for the ice was not sufficiently thick to hold up the teams and wagons. The company reached Nauvoo safely, however, just in time for Eve to join one of the pioneer companies on its journey westward. At Mount Pigsaw, they made camp, remaining there until President Brigham Young overtook them with some astonishing news. The United States had declared war on Mexico, and President Polk had sent Colonel Kane and Captain Allen to raise a Mormon army. 500 volunteers were needed. Ephraim was among the first to offer his services. So this concludes chapter 5. I'm sure you know what the next chapter is going to be about, is the Mormon Battalion. And that was an interesting experience. So, once again, thank you for listening. We're, you know, about a third of the way through the book. Not even that, maybe a fourth. But we'll continue on with it. I hope you enjoy it. And uh, make sure that you listen to uh, Come Follow Me, as well as 
the uh, points and tips that I offer for uh, seniors to avoid fraud and uh, misuse of our funds and deception. So thank you again for listening. See you later. Bye-bye.